Uh, I want to encourage you to keep your commitment to pray for them. Um, I, I mean this. The devil wants those children in the hearts of those children. Uh, more importantly, God wants them. And uh, we're not just trying to keep them from the devil. We're trying to keep them for God. Uh, those young people, who knows what they're going to do for God, uh, but we know that whatever God's will is for their life, it'll be the best thing that could ever happen to them. And so you pray for them and you pray for their parents. And this morning, we're going to kind of springboard off of that, all right? I'm not going to preach a baby dedication message per se, but I'd like you to take your Bibles and go almost to the back of the Bible to 3 John today. 3 John. While you're turning there, let me remind you that this afternoon we will have our fifth Sunday sing, where a lot of our folks have an opportunity to come and sing uh, around 2 o'clock. Uh, we're going to start gathering together at 2 o'clock. I think we're going to officially start at 2.15, all right? Everybody hear me when I said that? A little bit of change. 2.15, we're going to start the service. Try to start gathering back around 2 o'clock. There will be no 5 o'clock service tonight. We'll have a, an extended time of singing this afternoon, and then we'll have a message after that. Third John, all the way toward the back of your Bible. If you're there, let's stand together. And uh, based on the clock, I need to hurry. Amen. Uh, you're saying based on the clock or not, you need to hurry, right? Third John chapter number one. Let's jump into this if we could. The Bible says, the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Now watch what the Bible says in verse 3, for I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for these young people. Thank you for their parents. I pray that you bless them today. Bless all of our parents. Father, as we seek to raise our children, we'd raise up an army for God. It'll be a witness and a testimony to this world. Father, I pray this morning you'd help us all see that, Father, we are children of you if we're saved. And, Father, there's a way you'd have your children to live and a way that you'd have your children, uh, Lord, to be the testimony in our lives. And I pray that you'd help us with the message to see that today. Bless the invitation. If there's one lost, help them be saved in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I think we'd all agree today as we're on the subject of children that there are no perfect children, Correct. That's in spite of what you grandparents say, there are no perfect children. I know all parents agree there's no perfect children uh, because we're raising them, right? But something happens uh, when you become a grandparent, you don't see the things you used to see. Uh, I'm not a grandparent, so I have not developed that vision yet, uh, but I have seen it so often that grandparents uh, see things a little differently, and I, I think there's an important role that grandparents play, but we understand there are no such things as perfect children, uh, but I don't think that that should keep us this morning from striving to raise our children to be more and more like Christ. Sometimes we use that no perfect person thing as a crutch not to strive. I believe that. How often do we hear, well, nobody's perfect. Well, of course nobody's perfect, but our example is perfect, which is Jesus Christ, and we're to follow in his footsteps. That means as these parents raise their children, they should be raising them to become more and more like Christ. And we, as the children of God, should strive to become more and more like Christ. We agree. The Word of God, what does it say? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
The Bible is saying that parents are to give their children direction and to send them in the right direction in their life. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way that he should go. What is that about? It's about direction. That as a child of God, as I raise my child, I am to raise her, pointing to follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's something all parents agree on, right? We all agree on that. All Christian parents should raise their children to follow the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Here's the problem. We believe that in our children, but I'm afraid oftentimes we don't believe that as children. You say, what do you mean? Well, if you're saved today, you're a child of God. He is your heavenly father. And thanks be to God, that includes eternal life, a home in heaven, and we'll spend eternity with him. I'm thankful for that. But as a child of God, I too... I, too, should learn to walk in the way that I should go. Now, folks, we don't understand that this morning like we should, but understand this. If we want the product of what God promises, we must adopt the process of what God's provided, all right? If we want to have the product of all that God's promised us, we must adopt the process that God's provided us. So if we want to have children that go the way they should go, we've got to train them that way. Folks, this is not deep stuff this morning. But as a child of God, you and I should also be going in that same direction. I fear this morning we wonder why things don't turn out the way we think they ought to turn out when we reject and deny the process of what thus saith the Lord. You shouldn't be surprised at the product if you don't adopt the process. All right? That's not just for our kids. That's for God's kids. You get where I'm going this morning? Everything that we read about how we should raise our children is also an admonition from the Word of God how we should live as His children. This morning, uh, years ago, I was down in Jamaica preaching, and uh, the preacher that invited us to come down there says, bring hamburger helper. I'm like, why? And he says, well, it's boxed meals that you can eat, and it doesn't require a lot of prep and stuff like that. And so we went to the grocery store, got the hamburger. I didn't get the tuna helper. There's something wrong with you folks who like tuna helper, but hamburger helper. We got all of the cheeseburger helper and the lasagna helper, and it's all helper. And it was my night to cook, and we got back from preaching. Me and another preacher, we walked back from the church, and the little place we were staying had a kitchen. It was my job to cook that night. And uh, so I opened up the box and never cooked any before. Didn't know what it was about. Just knew it was hamburger helper, and the little little mascot was a glove. So I opened it up. There's noodles. All right, what do you do with noodles? You boil them. So I put them in the boiling water. All right, what else was in there? Well, there's two packs. There's this pack of powder and this pack of powder. I says, well, those packs of powder must go in the noodles. And so I'm boiling the noodles. I pour the powder over in. I pour the other powder over in, stirred it up. I thought, you know what? That's not enough to feed everybody. And so the cheeseburger, I'm like, well, cheeseburger and lasagna, that's kind of the same meat, sauce, kind of the same thing. Why don't I just put those noodles in with those noodles and those powders in with those powders, stir it all up, and we're going to have something good, right? No, not at all. When the other mission team came back to eat supper, we had this pot of stuff. I don't know what it was. It was those those little twirly noodles and then those those, uh, uh, little tubular noodles and there was this sauce in there. It was almost inedible, and it was horrible. And I started looking at the box, like, oh, my goodness, you're supposed to strain the water out first. And, uh, oh, oh, my bad. Uh, and then after you strain the water, you put the first packet in, and then you put it in the oven, and you bake it. And at the end, you put the other pack of sauce in there. I'm like, we have butchered this. We were not helpers of Hamburger Helper. We didn't help it at all. It was, it was a horrible, horrible mess. Here was the deal. We had the ingredients for one recipe, 
Uh, we had the instructions from another recipe, and we just combined it all, and we had a mess. I believe this morning, that's why we have a mess in America, a mess in the church. We have mess in our homes. We have messes in our hearts. It's because we're taking the ingredients from this, a little ingredients from that, some instructions from this, some instructions from that, and we're mixing it together, and we have a mess. We just have a mess. Now, listen to me this morning. If we want God's product, we've got to follow God's process. And he spells it out for us. So how do you know? Let me give you an example. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. He tells us right there how to have a life that resembles a child of God. Now, we amen awfully easy when it comes to preaching on how to raise children, but we don't amen quite as much when we apply that same standard to our life. Therein lies our problem. We think it applies to our kids. That's right, kids. You listen to God. Hey, mom and dad, you're a child of God too. You ought to listen to God to set the example to turn out the product so they'll have that in their life. But wait a minute. We look down here this morning. We see a man by the name of Gaius. And what a wonderful testimony he has. He spells out someone who was a, the Bible says, if you look down to verse number four, I have no greater joy to hear that my children walk in truth. Children meaning a child of the faith, someone that was his offspring of the faith, if you will. But this child in the faith has a wonderful, wonderful testimony that I believe we need to follow this morning. There's a key ingredient I want you to see, and I'm, I'm going to go as fast as I can. Uh, and if we need to start a little later this afternoon, we can do that. But you got to hear this this morning. There's a key ingredient in who he was. Watch closely verse 1. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the, say it with me, truth. Keep reading, verse 3. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the, what? Truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in, what? Truth. Verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in, there it is again, truth. The person that Gaius was, the child of God that he became, was a direct result of the influence of truth in his life. He is who he is because truth had an influence in his life. He would not be written about in 3 John, I don't believe for a moment, had truth not affected him. I believe this morning if our children are going to find their way to the will of God for their life, a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then finding the will of God for their life, it's going to be a direct result of hearing and receiving truth. True? I believe that. By the way, I think that applies to God's children as well. That you will become who God wants you to become. You're going to become the parent God wants you to become. You teenagers, you're going to become the teenager God wants you to become, all because of the influence of truth in your life. Do you know why I'm saved today? Because I heard the truth. And I responded to truth. Do you know why I'm preaching today? It's not because it's something I picked. I promise you, this is what God picked for my life. And one night he revealed his truth to me, and I allowed that truth to influence my life. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Understand this this morning. If we're going to be the children of God, we need to be. We're going to have to learn to be children of truth. And this morning, that's what I'm going to preach on today. We're going to look at the life of Gaius, and here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at a child of truth. Right here in five verses, truth is repeated and repeated and repeated. And this morning, I want to show you the influence of truth in his life. 
I hate to tell you this, you will not be the Christian, the mom, the dad, the teenager, the Sunday school teacher, whatever it is that you're striving to be, you will not be that without allowing truth to influence your life. The reason people are in a devil's hell this morning and they are burning there and they will be there forever is because they refused to allow the truth of God's word to influence their life. Jesus says, I am the way and the what? The truth, all right? They rejected truth. You reject Christ, you reject truth. You can't have one without the other. You see, that's why people die and go to hell. By the way, you may be saved this morning, but that's why your life can turn into a miserable mess in a heartbeat. It's when you choose to reject truth and it's influencing your life. Now, this morning, we're going to look at three things in the life of Gaius. I'm going to hurry, but I'm not going to speed past something God says slow down on, okay? Look down, if you will, to verse number three. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. Now, here's what I find amazing about Gaius. I love Gaius, okay? His testimony was one that was not self-fabricated. You know, there's a lot of things we like to tell people about us, right? We're the world's best whatever, hamburger helper maker, not me, <laughs> you're the world's best whatever. We like telling men what we're good at and, and things that we're handy with, but Gaius's testimony, watch this, was not his. The Bible says in verse 3, the brethren came and testified of the truth that was in him. Now here's what's amazing. Truth wasn't something that he simply believed, it was something that he lived. How do you know that? Because the people who met Gaius came back to John and testified, let me tell you about that man Gaius. Now, notice the Bible says the truth was in him. Uh, I don't think there is a test yet on the market where we can go inside our hearts and see truth, right? It'd be scary if we could, right? Oh, yeah. We take every politician up there and get them x-rayed, right? No. Empty, empty. No, I'm thinking there's some good ones up there somewhere, I am sure, all right? Hear me out. The truth that was in him was evident because it was on the outside of him. The Bible says they testified of the truth that was in him. Notice number one, Gaius, he had a testimony of truth. I believe this morning if we're going to be children of truth, we ought to have a testimony of truth. Now watch this, watch this. Others... These people spent time, the Bible says in verse number three, when the brethren came. So here's these brethren, and they spent time around Gaius. And when they came back, here's what they told John. His life bears witness of truth. The way he lives his life, the way he carries himself, bears witness of truth. Watch, it was a simple matter of comparison. That they knew the truth, and they looked at his life, and they made the comparison. I'll give you an example. Uh, I was talking in Sunday school about a, a Cajun lady I met the other day from Chalmette. And a lady I've been inviting to church and uh, trying to win to the Lord. And very nice lady at, at an establishment down the road, a store down the road. And uh, when I walked up and she said something to me, I said, I got to ask, where are you from? She said, Chalmette. And she didn't say it that way. She said it the way somebody from Chalmette would say it. And I don't know how to do that because I'm not from Chalmette. And I said, let me guess, I said, you're from Cajun country. She says, yes, Chalmette. You see, I compared what I know, the knowledge I have of people from Cajun country to how she was speaking, and I made a simple comparison. You've got to be from south of I-10, okay? It's a different world down there. 
I mean, we had some girls come to our camp from Homa. You asked mom and dad. They came to our camp from Homa, and they're sitting there talking to me. And I turned to my wife, and I said, they're trying to communicate, but I don't know what they're saying. They had words I had never heard, conjunctions I had never heard. Uh, I mean, they have their own language down there. And I looked at the lady at the gas station. I said, you got to be from, from south. She said, yeah, I'm from Chalmette. I compared what I knew with what I was hearing, and they matched. It was a simple matter of comparison. Uh, people that are from the north, I think we could agree with that. Uh, people from the north speak more proper than we do. And by the way, that wouldn't hurt any of us southerners, all right? You know, sometimes, look, I love the South. I'm thankful for the South, being raised in the South. I, I want to die and be buried in the South, not anytime soon, but I, I do, I do want to be buried here. Uh, some of you are like, doggone it. But uh, sometimes we get lazy with our language. Let's just be honest. You know, we get sloppy with our language. And we go out west to Montana, wherever on missions trip, and people say, talk for me. I'm like, why? They're like, I just want to hear you talk. I'm like, no. Because you want to make fun of me after I'm gone. You know, people from the north, they say all of the word, which we ought to learn how to do a little bit better of that, okay? You know, they, my dad used to say this when I was a teenager, put corners on your words. People from the north speak more proper. You can tell somebody's not from around here because they actually finish the word. You know, we say half of it and we go on to the next word. You know, that's, we, sometimes we get a little lazy in our speech. But what you're doing is you're comparing what you know by what you hear and you draw the comparison, right? All right, here's what was happening in the life of Gaius. The brethren were around him and they came back to John and they said, hey, this guy has a testimony of truth. They just did a simple matter of comparison. Now hear me out, if we're going to be the witness we ought to be in this world, watch this, the truth, and by the way, lost people know just as much truth as you do. You want to you know how a Christian ought to live, go talk to a lost person. They can tell you, we just live in denial of it. What they're doing is they're watching our life, listening to our conversation, and oh, I know we fail at it miserably, but listen to me, that's no reason to quit. That's no reason not to strive to have what? To have what Gaius had, which is a testimony of truth. Now, this is a scary topic right now in America. In America, truth is relative. I literally watched a Fox News interview the other day, and there was an authority of some type in the educational system in our country. Literally, go look it up. And she says, two plus two doesn't always equal four. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my soul, it took some of you seven years to get that, and now they're changing it on you. She says, two plus two is relative to how you see it. I'm going to try that with the IRS when I write my tax checkout. (laughs) In my book, it adds up to be this, you know, truth's not relative when it comes to writing that tax check, I assure you. The problem is we have made truth fluid, all right? We, we think the truth is relative to how we feel and what we like. But can I tell you something? God has not changed his mind on what he meant when he established truth. He said, well, how do you know God established truth? It was his word that is truth. The Bible says thy word is truth. God is the originator of truth. Therefore, watch, if I am going to be a child of truth, my testimony of truth is going to come from me lining up with what he says, not with what I think. Now, it's, it's going to get quiet here in a minute, all right, so stick with me. I want you to think about what the Bible says in Luke chapter 10, verse 29. Here was this lawyer tempting Jesus about eternal life, and 
how to have eternal life. And Jesus says, what does the law say? And he says, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, okay. And the Bible says this in verse 29. Listen close. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Do you know what he was trying to do? Trying to move the goalpost. Why? Trying to justify himself. Oh, can I tell you something? Look, when you are confronted with truth, you have two options and two options alone. You only have two. Number one, watch this, you can try to justify yourself. Well, I know this is what God says, but this is how I want to live. Hey, that's fine. It doesn't make you right. Because God's truth stands. He said, well, I believe this is what's straight up. No, straight up is deciding what God says. So you can try to justify yourself. Watch this. Or you can just comply with it. Justify or just comply. That's the only two options you got. When we are confronted with truth, whether or not it influences your life as it ought to influence your life is a decision you make by justifying your sin or just complying with his word. That's the decision we all have to make. No wonder our lives are a mess. We try to justify ourselves and why we're, wrong, we're right when truthfully the word of God says we're wrong. Now, I heard this a while back, and I, I haven't forgotten it. Probably the, the best uh, illustration or definition of truth that I could come up with. We always ask the question, what is truth? What is truth? Someone said this a while back. haven't forgotten it. I'll probably use it until the day that I die. The truth and what truth is is simply this, God's reality. Truth is God's reality. That means, watch this, it doesn't matter what virtual reality I create. And by the way, we live in an amazing world, don't we? We have virtual reality. You ever put one of those headsets on? You, you need to put one of those headsets on and then let somebody video it so I can see it and laugh at you. Because it is hilarious. You see people walking around and sword fighting. I was in Laramie, Wyoming, or Cody, Wyoming one time at the uh, Buffalo Bill Historical Center. And they had this game where you put these goggles on and you're shooting at geese as they flew over. No joke. You had this fake gun, uh, but it was a nice looking gun. And I slammed a hole in the ceiling tile. I didn't get the goose, but I got the ceiling tile. It was so real. I thought I was shooting geese up in the air. It was a virtual reality. But when I took the goggles off, there was no geese. There was a hole in the ceiling, but there was no geese, all right? It was that real. It was an imaginary reality that was created. Uh, I think, to be totally honest with you this morning, uh, there's too many of us who live in a virtual reality. We don't live in God's reality. Well, here's what I think, and here's how I feel, and here's how this is right, and how this is wrong. And we create our own virtual reality. Can I tell you something? A virtual reality, it gets you no eternal reward. Until we line ourselves up with God's reality, which is truth, it's the only way we're going to have what God says we can have and be who God says we can be. I asked a kid a while back, I can't remember who it was, um, what they want to be when they grow up. And uh, there's some adults I'm really, I'm really wanting to ask that too, but I don't have the guts. <laughs> Ask kid, uh, what you want to be when you grow up? I can't remember what all he said, but it was something like, I, I want to be a professional ninja with a mansion and a pet tiger named Thor. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. Hey, that kid's parents, you talk about imagination, you have raised a very creative child. I don't know if that's right brain or left brain or no brain, but man, you have raised up a good one there. I want to be a professional ninja that lives in a mansion and has a pet tiger named Thor. I'm like, wow, you know what? Some of you are just aspiring to uh, be at checkout at Walmart or something like that. This kid's got dreams right here in his life. And we know as we grow, we start losing those elementary ideas in realities, right? 
There's not much of a market for ninjas. I just got to tell you. Some of you are heartbroken. I got to tell you. I've got to tell you the truth behind the bullpen. There's not much of a market for ninjas. And owning a tiger is dangerous, okay? Mansions aren't too terribly bad, but uh, I'm afraid you might get eat with that. You start growing up, you're like, I know I'm not going to do that. You grow out of that. I believe we have far too many spiritual kids who we haven't grown out of our virtual reality to live in what we like to call the real world. The word of God is truth. This is the real world. You say, well, I think and I identify and all that. Hey, that's fine. That's fine. Just because you think that, it doesn't mean that's the truth of what God says because what he says is the final authority on truth. It doesn't matter what I say. By the way, I'm thankful I'm not the authority on truth. I get it wrong a lot. I get it wrong a lot. You don't want me deciding what truth is. I was talking to a young man the other day, and he was telling me about some virtual reality stuff. And that virtual reality is neat when you think about it. But, but think about this. You know, virtual reality may produce a virtual paycheck, and you can buy some virtual groceries, but you're still going to be virtually hungry. <laughs> it ain't going to pay you very well. Now, I know you get paid to be a gamer and all that stuff like that. I'm just being honest. Hey, I think some of our young people need to get in the real world, don't you? I mean, come on. We got to get in the real world. Hey, get out there, swing a hammer, get out there, get on the computer, get out there, fly a plane, do something like that. Hey, that's the reality of what life is all about. But just as much as I believe that, I believe that we need to get some Christians in the real world too. Quit living by our own truth, thinking, well, I, this is how it is to me, and this is how I feel about things. Doesn't matter. Listen to me. It's of no private interpretation. I don't get to say what truth is. You don't get to say what truth is. What truth is, what God knows. And watch. He even wrote it down for us. He knows that we are but dust. He knows that we are frail. And so he gave us the cheat sheet called the Word of God to know exactly what he calls truth. Now, I believe this morning, I'm going to hurry, all right? The points get shorter as we go along, okay? So there's some hope for you there. Matthew chapter 25. I'm not going to turn there, but I want you to think about something. Matthew 25. The man who had the one talent, who messed up, who was not accepted of God, I want you to think about that man. What did he say when the master comes back? Well, I, I knew that you were, you know, you reap where you haven't sown. I, I knew you gathered where you haven't strolled and all that. So I was afraid and went and buried it in the earth. Do you know what he did? He wrote his own set of rules. Well, I know you said this, but I decided to do this. Can I just ask you, how'd that turn out for him? Didn't turn out well. It's not going to turn out well for us either. Do you know why America's on the road to the to destruction that we're on this morning? It's because we're making this thing up as we go when God's already figured it out for us. There's no need to rewrite the rules. There's no need for a new truth. God has already established it forever. O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. His truth is settled in heaven. If we want to have what God says we can have, we got to line up to this, not get it to line up to us. By the way, that's why we have so many versions of the Bible out there. We're rewriting it to fit us and how we feel and what we like. It is not by mistake. It is all the process to get us away from God's product. I want to read something for you in Romans 1, uh, and then we're going to go to point number 2, okay? Romans chapter 1. I want to read something to you about a, a people that I think you could relate to here in America. Verse number 18, the Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Notice it begins in verse 18, for the wrath of God. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. What does that mean? That's God's truth. God loved us enough to give us his truth. The Bible says he's written it upon our hearts. Goes on down, verse 20, you can see God's truth in creation. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. 
Uh Uh-oh. Key words, because when they knew, they glorified him not. We know the truth, but we refuse the truth. Trouble, trouble, trouble. Watch this. The Bible says, professing themselves to be wise. You always find the arrogance and pride in a society who thinks they can now write the rule book. We now define everything. We can define the home. We can define whatever we want. We can define our own genders. We can define all of that. The Bible says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Change the glory of the uncorruptible God. Oh, you got to go in there and start changing the book. They change who God is into an image like corruptible man. Verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up. Why? They rejected truth. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. Worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. For this cause, watch this, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman. What happened? They messed up when they started rewriting this thing. They messed up when they took God's truth and changed it to a lie. And by the way, we're messing up the same way. I mess up the same way. Anytime I try to justify my sin rather than just yield to God's truth, I'm on the same path they are. We think because some sins seem more unusual to us and more grotesque to us that they matter less. No, can I tell you, they matter just the same. Sin is sin to God. Jesus died for every one of them, the big ones, the little ones. That's why as a child of God, if I'm going to be who I need to be, I've got to decide to yield to God's truth, not defend my error. Now, folks, we got to get this this morning. If we don't get to the other two points, we'll just sit here on the first one for a minute before we go. Gaius had a testimony of truth. It was not just something he believed. It was something that he lived within his life. Now, let's hurry. How did he do that? How did he get that? I want to show you real quick. Verse 3, for I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth. Here comes, that is in thee. That is in thee. Notice, this wasn't just something that he testified about. The Bible says that it was in him. Truth, hear me out, wasn't something he put on. It was something he put in. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. I mean, we've gotten so churchy in society. We know how to dress up and look nice, and we know how to put it all on. The problem is this morning, we don't know how to put it in. That's our problem. Because once it goes in, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Garbage in, garbage out, good in, good out. I've told you the story before. A lady asked me when my baby was about two or three years old. Brought her her lemonade at a restaurant in Columbia, and my daughter says, thank you. She says, how do you get your kid to say thank you? Tell her to say thank you. She said, all my child does is say profanity. I said, "Uh, we'll pray for you. Garbage in, garbage out. Truth in, truth out. Watch this, number two. How did he become a child of truth? Number two, he had taken hold of truth. He had taken hold of truth. I am going to hurry, but but I need you to get this this morning. God didn't send this for us to rush through. Truth wasn't just something Gaius agreed with in his life. It was something he had accepted in his life. Big, big difference. Do you know you can agree with God's truth without accepting it? So I don't don't know that I believe that. Well, let me give some scripture, okay? So you will. James chapter 2, verse 19. The Bible says, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. Hey, that's good that you believe that. The devils also believe and tremble. Do you know why the devils 
are still going to burn forever in hell because even though they may believe the truth, they did not accept the truth that there's one God. They said, no, we're going to have another one over here, and we're going to, he's going to be our God. You see, there's a difference in believing it and accepting it. I'll show you something right quick. I brought it up here with me. went to the doctor on Monday. Uh, voice was out on Sunday. appreciate Brother Edwards preaching, and I appreciate Brother Baker preaching on Wednesday. I told the doctor, I said, hey, I, I got something going on in here, and somebody's trying to kill me, and gave me a bug or something, you know. You like to think, you know, romanticize about it. I'm going to die as a martyr for the cause of Christ. Anyway, he gave me, a, uh, he gave me this prescription that I'm taking. You, you don't know how big of a deal that is. That's a big deal. Um, I went to Sam's and uh, got my prescription in, a, in the icy there from Sam's. And uh, in this bottle, there is amoxicillin, 875 milligrams in here. Uh, there's 20 of them in there for me to take. They're like horse pills. Can I tell you something? I, I believe this stuff works. I believe this stuff works. But it doesn't do me a bit of good. If I don't receive it, big difference. I believe this works. I believe there's something good in there. There could be some bad stuff in there too. I don't know. But I believe it works. And I believe it will help me feel better. I'm, I'm feeling better already. But it doesn't do me any good if I don't receive what I say I believe. You wonder why so many homes are sick. So many young people are sick. So many churches are sick. It's not because we don't believe it. We haven't received it. Watch what the Bible says about Gaius. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is what? It is in thee. You know, this does me no good if it doesn't get in me. And we walk around, well, I know all of the scripture and I'm smarter than you and all that. Hey, can I ask you, how much is in you? How much is in you? Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, watch this I will come in. Do you know how I got saved? He knocked, opened the door, he came in. I didn't, look, Jesus is not peering through the windows of my life. <laughs> no, he's in with me. Watch this. Do you know why people die and go to hell? It's because they looked at Jesus out their bedroom window and they never invited him in. And by the way, that's why I save people today. Lives are not changed. We have no testimony of truth in our life. It's because Jesus is outside looking in. At some point, you've got to bring it in. You say, well, that would make me kind of nervous if Jesus came to my house. Well, that's kind of the point. That's why we don't want him in. I don't want to invite him in my house because he'll see this and he'll know this. I promise you it's better to invite him in now than wish he came in later. Because there comes a time where it's a little bit too late for you. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 18. It's the verse that I adopted for my daughter when she was born. And this may not be her life's verse, but this is my life's verse for her. The Bible says it is a good thing that thou shouldest take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Notice it says thou shouldest take hold of this and withdraw not my hand. You better take it in. You better take it in. Why? Because the Bible says he shall come forth of them all. If you want the product, you've got to go through the process. Proverbs 4.13, take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. You will never have a testimony of truth until you do what Gaius did. At some point, you take hold of truth in your life. And it's sometimes like hugging a cactus. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's hard. But you better take truth in. Why? Because only then and then will you be changed. 
You're not going to be changed by knowing truth. Well, I know the Bible and I have this much experience. Doesn't mean anything. There's a lot of Pharisees burning in hell this morning, not because they didn't know the truth, but because they didn't receive the truth. They never took their medicine. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, Charles Spurgeon says, but be sure you're going that way yourself. You know, there's a better chance they'll take hold of it if you do. There's a better chance they'll take hold of it if you do. At some point in your life, you've got to embrace truth and take in truth, take hold of truth, and perhaps it'll be an example to our children. But think about this. Hebrews 11.5, the Bible says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. He was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, watch this, he had this testimony that he pleased God. How did he hit this testimony? The same way Gaius got his testimony. He took truth in. He took it in. He let it change him. No accident. The other day I saw a mailbox. drove by somebody's house and there was a mailbox out there. And the mailbox was crammed full of mail. All right? If that's yours, I apologize. Okay? Check your mail. <laughs> there could be a publisher's clearinghouse check in there. And it was crammed full. There was just so many letters and newspapers, and, and, and there's like a package or two in there. You could not put anything else in that mailbox. It would not receive anything else. And in order to put something else in, you're going to have to take a few things out. It could be this morning the reason you haven't received Christ and his truth into your life is because there's some things that got to get out of there first. And, oh, can I tell you, that's a tough one right there. Number one, a child of truth has a testimony of truth. How do you get a testimony of truth? Well, you've got to take hold of truth. And finally, I'll give you this and we're done. If you look down, the Bible says in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Oh, I love this. Notice there's evidence. I, I, don't, I would not give a plug nickel to a counterfeit, camouflage Christianity that never shows up in your life. I'd check and make sure you got what you think you got because it ought to show up somewhere in your life. And notice it's showing up in Gaius' life. He's walking in this truth. There's an evidence of it there. So how do you know that Gaius took hold of truth? So number one, he had a testimony. How do you get a testimony? He took hold of it. How do you know that he took hold of it? Notice he's living his life by it. He had a testimony of truth. He had taken hold of truth. Finally, number three, he had trusted in truth. He's trusting in truth. Do you know the greatest evidence that you've taken hold of truth in your life? The greatest evidence that you've taken hold of truth in your life is when you trust it enough to live by it. That's how you know. Don't tell me you, you trust God's word and you trust what God said, but you don't live by it. Don't tell me it doesn't happen that way. I'll give you an example. This happened to me yesterday. I told, I told the folks that were there this will be an illustration. I just figured out how to make it happen. Yesterday we had a staff luncheon out on Lake Serene and um, Brother Bill had his boat there and had this tow-behind thing that you get on and ride. It's like a floatable air mattress that you ride on. And uh, Everybody's out there riding, and they're having a good time. And, you know, going around, like, boom, 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 bouncing around like that. And the kids get off the, the boat, and they came up to the dock, and they said, uh, they said, man, that's fun. I said, it looks fun. They said, you ought to try it. I'm like, no, I'm in jeans and a, a dress shirt. You know, I'm, I'm not going to try it today. He said, oh, pastor, you really ought to try it. I mean, it's fun. You're going to love it. I said, I believe it's fun, and I know you guys are having a blast. I hear you screaming out there. You ought to get on. You're really going to love it. I said, no, 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 that's good. That's good, you know. And then I thought to myself, you know, what better way to bring unity to a staff than for the pastor to be humiliated in front of everybody? I don't mind being a fool for the Lord. Spend and be spent, Paul said. 
So we get on the back of this tube, me, my wife, and daughter, and Jessica Nottie. How Jessica Nottie got caught up in that, I don't know. But I apologized to her before the boat ever took off. I said, you're on this with me. That means it's about to be bad for you. I'm apologizing up front. So they take off around the leg. It's kind of cool, you know. And, and then Brother Bill, I think probably urged on by some of the ladies that I will not call their name on the boat, uh, decided to start bringing the tube over the waves at, at a really high rate of speed. We were doing physics experiments out there like crazy, centrifugal force, all that. I, I have a picture for you, uh, I believe up here, yeah. I'm on the left, and uh, I think we have another picture here uh, somewhere, yeah, there, there we are. It's airborne. They're not supposed to do that. They're supposed to be in the water. That's a water thing, not an air thing. Uh, but I told Miss Shelley when we got off, I can now put on my list of accomplishments at Central Baptist Church, survive an assassination attempt. Um, if you wanted to, to really look at my four years of ministry here, uh, that five-minute video would really describe what it's been like, to be totally honest with you. It's been kind of crazy. Uh, but here's what I want you to think about. I watched everybody else ride, and I watched them laugh and scream and get off safely. By the way, we did not end the ride with Jessa. I'm not, I'm not joking. Four went out, and three came back. I mean, I look at one time, I see feet, and I'm like, where's Jessa? I say, well, she stepped out for a minute. She did. She's back there waving. I mean, great attitude. Jessa had the greatest attitude. She's waving back there like, oh, my dear. I felt like I should fall off just to make it better for her. But here's the deal. It looked fun, and I believed it was fun, and I believed it was safe. And one of the kids says, why don't you get on, Pastor? Why don't you get on? You know, we look at this, and we say that Christian life looks fun, and I, I believe it's great, and I, I do believe it's good. Then why don't you get on? Why don't you get on? Don't tell me how awesome it is and how great it is and how much you believe it is. At some point, you don't start trusting it, that I'm going to live by it. You know, I put my life in Bill Blasiola's hands yesterday. You know, he hadn't had the boat long. I mean, this shows you, Brother Bill, how much trust I have in him. Going out there around that lake. At some point, I had to relinquish the dock. And I did it willingly. Got on. There were hand straps on that thing. I want you to know, they're probably not there anymore. I gripped them as tight as you could grip them. Because every time he would go right, all the people on the left came to, to me. We got close as a family. We got close to Jesse. We've ever been to Jesse yesterday. It was great. But at some point, I had to decide to trust it and literally put my life on it. And I woke up this morning with a sore neck, you know, and arms a little bit sore, but I, I survived. But I had to trust it. At some point, can I tell you, if you're going to be a child of truth, you're going to have to trust in truth. I'm going to take my family and I'm going to put it on that tube. Okay, I believe it. I really do believe it. I'm going to, I'm going to take my job. I'm going to take my doubts, my worries, my fears. I'm just going to put them on the tube. Okay, God. God, I'm off the dock. That's, that's what ought to happen today. A lot of us need to get off the dock and decide if it's truth, and I believe it's truth. If I really do believe this book and thy word is truth and forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled, I'm going to raise my family by this book. I'm going to lead my home by this book. I'm going to live my life by this book. I'm going to trust my life with it. Get off the dock this morning. If we're going to have a testimony of truth, we've got to take in truth. Number three, then you're going to have to trust in truth. I believe that's what Esther did. 
Mordecai says, Esther, God brought you here for such a time as this. Esther's like, oh, you know, that's, if I go in there, I'm going to die. Finally, she says, if I perish, I perish. That's what I said when I got on that float yesterday. <laughs> Esther says, I can put my life on it. I trust it. If Central Baptist Church is going to have a testimony of truth, that people come by and they say, like Ogaeus, man, that's a church of truth. Not perfect people. We all make mistakes. But, man, you, you look at that, man, that church is a testimony of truth, and they've taken hold of this, and not only have they taken hold of it, they're living their life by it. They, those two families that were here just a moment ago, you know why they were up here? They said, I'm going to raise my kid by this truth. I'm trusting it. I've said this many times. Proverbs 22, 6, I've squeezed the ink out of that verse. God, you said, God, you said, God, you said. Ephesians, God, I, I'm trying. God, I'm trying. I, I believe it. Husbands, love your wife. God, I'm trying. I'm trying. God, I, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. In the good days, it's easy to trust, but in the tough days, it's hard to trust. But can I tell you, God is still the same God. You can trust him. But Zach sang about it a minute ago. Get to know him better by trusting him in the difficult times. Can I ask you this before we close? How deep is your testimony of truth? Is it just something that's shallow that you tell people about the truth? Or is it something that you have finally learned to trust your life, your family, and your home by? I don't know about you, but I hope those children grow up to be children of truth, correct? I pray God raises those two kids up to be children of truth. But can't God say the same thing about his some of you, look, you may be older than me, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years old. I don't know. God still wants you to be a child of truth. He wants you to have a testimony of truth that people can look at your life and say, their life, truth, wow, that's a child of truth. They line up. Not my truth, not your truth, God's truth. How do we have that? Well, at some point, you've got to take it in. Quit talking about it. Quit posting about it if you're not going to take it in. Take it in. Take it in. Look, look. It's not going to do you any good. No matter how much you believe it will work, it's not going to do you any good until you receive it. Take it on the inside. That's how you got saved. That's how you ought to live as a Christian. And then finally we get to the place where you're like, you know, if I can trust him with my salvation, my eternal life, which I will live forever, and this life is just but a vapor, a small little drop in the bucket, you know what? Then I can trust him with this one too. If you've trusted Christ for your eternal life, why don't you trust him for your everyday life? You can trust him. But it begins with living by his truth. Can I ask you this? Are you saved this morning? Have you trusted Christ as your personal? Oh, I believe in Jesus. No, 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 the devils believe and tremble. They're still going to hell. Have you ever received Christ as your personal Savior? If you died right now, are you certain you're going to heaven? If you're not sure, in just a moment, we'll have folks standing on either side of the, the platform. Come down. They'll take the word of God and help you know that you've received God's truth. Heads are bowed.